says, There was in the days of Herod the king of Judah a certain priest named Zacharias of the course of Ava, and his wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord blameless. And they had no child, because that Elizabeth was barren. And they both were now well stricken in years. And it came to pass that while he executed the priest's office before God in the order of his course, according to the custom of the priest's office, his lot was to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. And the whole multitude of people were praying without at the time of incense. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you for this day, Lord. Lord, I just thank you uh, that we can come to church, Lord. And uh, Lord, I just pray that you'll have your hand on this message tonight, Lord. Lord, I pray that it'll be an encouragement. Uh, and uh, Lord, I pray that for those, for someone here that might not be saved, Lord, Lord, I just pray that they'll get that taken care of tonight, that they won't go home uh, or finish this year not knowing. And Lord, I just pray that if there's anyone here like that, that they'll be saved here tonight. In your son Jesus Christ's name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. All right. So as we're, uh, we're here two days after Christmas, I, uh, John the Baptist is very, just like we're just not very far removed from Christmas, the, the, the narrative here of John the Baptist and his birth is not far removed from the Christmas narrative. It's very close. They're completely, they're intertwined with each other, really. And so as we look at this, we're at the very beginning of the book of Luke, and really chronologically, this would be the start of the, of the New Testament instead of the birth of Christ, because John the Baptist's birth came before the birth of Christ. Um, and uh, John the Baptist was to, announce, was to announce Christ, was to announce Christ's ministry. His ministry was to announce Christ. Now, as we look at the author of this book, the book of Luke, since we're only in the second chapter of the book, if ever a man wrote a book full of good news for everybody, it was Dr. Luke. His key message is, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost, and that's in Luke 19.10. And so he, he presents Jesus Christ as the compassionate Son of Man who lived among sinners and loved them. In this gospel, you meet individuals as well as crowds and women and children and men, poor people, rich people, sinners and saints. It's a book with a message for everybody because Luke's emphasis is on the universality of Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ's salvation and how it's offered to every man. In Luke 2.10, Luke says, good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. And so we see here our, um, that he announces that uh, this theme is that the, this message is going to be good for all people, that if you accept Jesus Christ's salvation, it's good for all people, and all people can accept Jesus Christ's salvation. Now, he was probably a Gentile and was trained as a physician. Now, no wonder he began his book with a detailed account of the birth of two baby boys, of John the Baptist and of Jesus Christ. Now, and no wonder he emphasized Christ's sympathy for hurting people of, with different ailments. He wrote with the mind of a careful, a careful historian and a loving physician. Now, this was indeed a dark day when he was writing in the nation of Israel. The people had not heard a prophetic word from God in the past 400 years, not since Malachi had 
had promised the, his coming, uh, had promised the coming of Elijah in Malachi 4, 5, and 6. It says, Behold, the, the closing two verses of, of Malachi, the, the, last, uh, the last section of the Bible we have before coming into the book of chronologically here is Malachi 4, 5, and 6. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to the fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. Now, of course, they were in this period of 400 silent, silent years. They had been under Roman occupation. They had been in the Babylonian, uh, when we had left off in the Old Testament, they were in the Babylonian captivity. Israel had been through hundreds of years of suffering up to this point. And so it's a dark, it's a dark day. And at this point, the spiritual leaders were shackled by their tradition, and in some instances, corruption. And King Herod the Great was a tyrannical ruler over, over the land. He had nine, some say, t some, some say ten wives, one of whom he had executed for, for no good reason. But no matter how dark the day, God is always devoted to the people, to, he, God is always with the people that are devoted to him. So here, we pick up with, with this an announcement that's given to Zacharias that ends the period of the 400 silent years that marks the end of that period. And so as we begin uh, working our way through this first part of the chapter just before the birth of Jesus Christ, I want to uh, take some time to kind of meet, meet the characters here. So we have Herod, uh, who I just mentioned. Of course, this is the same Herod mentioned in Matthew 2.1. Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, this is the same, the same Herod that the wise men uh, went, had, had met now and um, had executed all of the, of the baby boys uh, just before Jesus Christ was born. This is the same, the same Herod. Now Zacharias, the father of John the Baptist, he was, uh, he was a priest in the temple. The work of the temple was divided among divisions. Each priest... Um, each, each division was named after a leader. In a godless age, both Zechariah and Elizabeth, John the Baptist's mother, were, were righteous before God. They were trusting, they recognized they were sinners, and they brought the necessary sacrifices. They were obedient to God in that time. And you see that in verse number 6 of uh, Luke chapter 2. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. And so we catch them here in a position where they're already serving God, where Zach Zachariah is already serving God and Elizabeth is, Elizabeth is serving God. And so Elizabeth is also from a priestly family, and they had no children. And of course, Elizabeth was also Mary, the mother of Jesus' cousin. And then, um, then of course, we have John the Baptist here. And what's interesting to notice, note, note here is uh, John the Baptist is, uh, the Baptist is his title, but John... Me, is the the name means Jehovah is gracious, and I just think that's the person to announce the the coming of Jesus Christ of the gracious King, that name that his name is Jehovah is gracious, just as another way that his his ministry pointed to the coming the coming Jesus Christ, and so um, we've met the characters here. Let's look at the situation before we get into our points. Zachariah's lot here was to burn in incense in the temple. And that was a once in a lifetime thing. Each priest served in the temple two weeks out of the year. And in spite of the godlessness around them, Zachariah and Elizabeth were, 
were faithful to serve God and to do what they were supposed to do as in his role. Now the priests would drew lots to see which ministries they would perform, and Zechariah was chosen to offer incense in the holy place, and it's a high honor. Now, this was most likely an evening sacrifice where we pick up here, um, and where we'll pick up here in just a second. Now, you've probably noticed that God often speaks to people that are already that are already serving. They're already busy, uh, busy in their daily lives. Both Moses and David were caring for sheep. Gideon was threshing wheat. Peter and his and his partners were mending nets when Jesus called them. Now, we God God doesn't want us just to sit around and wait for Him to speak to us. We should be already busy serving Him in whatever way we can find to do, and. Sometimes it's something as menial as, as caring for sheep. But Zechariah happened to have a, a, what would be considered an important job at that time as, as the priest. He was to offer the sacrifices, to serve in the temple. It would be an important role. And what, what I always found interesting is that the son of the priest was chosen to announce Jesus Christ, who was the son of a humble carpenter. I, I always found that interesting, that um, kind of the reversal of what would be expected there. And so a baby will be born. The time, uh, the time had to be perfect. The, the closing days of Herod the Great and God's timing had to be precise for all of the prophecies set forth in the Old Testament to be fulfilled. As we, as we um, look at this again, the, uh, the parents, Zachariah's name means Jehovah remembers and Elizabeth's name means God is oath or oath to, is my God. Now we may ask ourselves, when did God take an oath? What, 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 how is that connected? In Psalm 89, verse 34, it says, My covenant will I not break, nor after the thing that is gone out of my lips. Once I have sworn by my holiness that I will not lie unto David, his seed shall endure forever, and his throne as the sun before me. It shall be established forever as the moon and as a faithful witness in heaven. Selah. So God swore an oath to David that his descendants would have an eternal reign. Christ was his descendant, and God remembers his oath. God remembered his oath that the throne of David would be eternal, and Christ was a fulfillment of that. And so as we look at this story, um, the, names, the names are significant. They add to, they add to it um, because Zachariah's name, meaning Jehovah remembers, God had remembered them during the 400 silent years. God had not forgotten his people. And then God is oath. God has not forgotten his promises that he made to his people. He's not forgotten them, and he's not forgotten those promises. So as we look at tonight, we'll continue in this passage, in this, this chapter, picking up in verse number 11. But I want to look at three elements of John the Baptist's birth tonight. Three elements of John, John's birth. The first element is an angel of the Lord. An angel of the Lord. So if you'll pick up with me in verse number 11, and I'll read down to verse number 17, and we'll look at the first part of, of, this, of this story. In verse number 11 of Luke 2, it says, And there appeared unto him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said unto him, Fear not, Zacharias, for thy prayer is heard. And thy wife Elizabeth shall bear a son, and thou shalt call his name John. And thou shalt have joy and gladness, 
and many shall rejoice at his birth. And he shall be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink, and he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost, from, even from his mother's womb. And many of the children of Israel shall he turn to the Lord their God. And he shall go before him in the spirit and the power of Elias to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready the people prepared for the Lord. Now, as we look here at the angel of the Lord, this was the angel Gabriel that appeared here. Uh, the name Gabriel meaning the man of God. He was a messenger of God. And his ministry involves making special announcements concerning God's plans. And of course, he's the same, the same angel that appeared to Mary and, and Joseph. He also appears in Daniel 8.16. It says, And I have heard a man's voice between the banks of Uli, which, which called and said, Gabriel, make this man to understand the vision. And then in Daniel 9.21, it says, Yea, whilst I was speaking in prayer, even the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, touched touch me about the time of the evening oblation. So uh, Gabriel and Michael, are the, the archangel, are the only angels mentioned by name in the Bible. And so we, hear, we see Gabriel is mentioned, mentioned by name of, of who he is. And that he's, a messenger, that he's a messenger from God. He's bringing a message directly from Zechariah to God. Now, when it says here in verse number 17, that last verse that I read here, it says, And he shall go before him in the spirit and the power of Elias to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to whom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. That's a con connection back to Malachi and, that, and a connection um, back to Elijah here. And so he was a, Elijah was a stern prophet that rebuked the idolatrous king Ahab. We see in 1 Kings 21, 25, it says, But there were none like unto Ahab, which did sell himself to the work wickedness in the sight of the Lord, whom Jezebel his wife stirred up, and did very abominably in following idols according to all things, as did the Amorites, whom the Lord cast out before the children of Israel. So Elijah preached repentance just as John the Baptist would do. Um, but John the Baptist's ministry would be a little different. It would be announcing the, birth, uh, the coming of Jesus Christ. In Luke 3, 8, it says, bring forth, bring forth, therefore, fruits worthy of repentance, and begin not to say within yourselves, We have Abraham to our father, and I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up the children unto Abraham. And so God, um, we can see that connection with John the Baptist's ministry. Now, um, we also see that he is to be a Nazarite. In, um, back in the book of Luke, chapter 2, it says that, um, in verse 15, it says, For he shall be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink, and he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost, even from his mother's womb. And so we see that um, he shall, he's supposed to be a Nazarite. He's supposed, it's a, a vow taken uh, with a devotion so that he would be devoted to God. And he would find his joy from the Holy Spirit of God, and he would be set apart. Now, this is the reason also here in Ephesians uh, 5.18 that Paul says, and be not drunk with wine, we're in excess, but be, but be filled with the Spirit. He used to be filled with the Spirit of God, 
even from the birth. That's how it was special instructions of how he was supposed to be raised as a servant of God with a special goal for his life. Now, let's understand that although John the Baptist went forth in the spirit and the power of Elijah, he was not Elijah. He would turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and would bridge the generation gap. Now, our problem today is often uh, we focus on the generation on a generation gap of the the older generation to the younger generation, maybe the um, the baby boomers to the millennials. And but we should all be focusing on God instead of the problems between generations. If we were all focused on God and focused on serving God, there wouldn't be such a generation gap problem. Now, um, as we but as we look at this, of course, there's the angel of the Lord, but with this generation this generation gap. Um, we can also see this, this gap in the Bible comes an age-old doubt. So we have the an, an angel of the Lord, and secondly, an age-old doubt. And so we see here in this passage, we're going to pick up in verse 18, but before this, Gabriel had just come and announced and answered Zechariah's prayer in the temple. Zechariah was praying for a son, and an angel appeared unto him and instantly answered his prayer. Now, we see here in verse 18, Zechariah's response. And Zechariah said unto the angel, Whereby shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is well stricken in years. And the angel answering said unto him, I am Gabriel that stand in the presence of God, and am sent to speak unto thee, and to show these glad, these glad tidings. And behold, thou shalt be dumb and not able to speak until the day that these things shall be performed, because thou believest not my words, which shall be fulfilled in their season. This verse is always kind of, this passage has always kind of striked me, struck me as, as funny because um, Zechariah immediately begins to doubt what God's giving him. And it's easy to, it's easy to judge um, these, these characters in the Bible for, the, for, for what they do because it's easy, it's easy to look back on it and, and judge what he did. But I, I try to imagine myself in that, in that situation. I'm I'm praying for something, and God instantly answers the prayer. Am I, am I going to trust it? Well, Zechariah clearly had his doubts and expressed them to the angel Gabriel. And the angel Gabriel just said, well, if you're not going to trust God, then you're not going to spread your doubts, so you're just going to be quiet now. And so I, I just always thought of it like that. And when we, when we pray, we often forget that we're praying to God that created the universe, that created everything in the world. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. And we forget that so often. And here we caught Zechariah in a, I'm, I'm sure he was a, a man of great faith, but we caught him in a moment where he wasn't, where, he, where when the angel Gabriel was speaking to him, he wasn't trusting God. And I even think of, you know, we can, that we, we're praying right now, um, so hard for this this Glencoe project and giving towards it, but we have a God that has the power that can just uh, walk up that that you know somebody could walk up to pastor and just hand him the keys to a, a brand new church building, and God has the power to do that. God has the power to do amazing miracles, and we'll never understand them. And Zachariah here kind of had had lost sight of that. But if we're being honest with ourselves, I think that if if we were praying and God instantly answered our prayer, I think we would have some problems with doubt as well. And so as we continue, um, we, uh, we, when we pray, we need to be trusting that God can actu will actually and can actually 
uh, do what we're, pray what we're praying for him to do. Now, this, of course, was unbelief, and it was something that God does not accept. Zechariah was, was really questioning God's own ability to fulfill his word. He had not forgotten what he did. God had not forgotten what he did for Abraham and Sarah. In the Wednesday night class, we had been uh, learning about Abraham and Sarah and how God provided them, provided them a son, despite, <clears throat> despite especially uh, Sarah's doubt in what God could do in their old age. And I find it so interesting that here with Zachariah and Elizabeth, that the, the connection between the stories. When we read in the Old Testament, there's this long drama with Abraham and Sarah and Hagar and Ishmael and Isaac, and how that all comes to be, and how um, there's this, this rift between nations now because of Hagar and, and Ishmael, between uh, Sarah and Isaac. And this rift is still here till this day, but this story, instead of this um, springing of doubt, of, of this doubt being highlighted, God's just like, well, that's not going to happen again. Um, Zachariah, you're going to be quiet now, and we're going to move forward with my plan. And so it's amazing how God works sometimes in different ways. But we see this similar story with Abraham and Sarah. In, if you want to turn over there, I'll read, I'm going to read Genesis 18 in verse number 9. And we're just going to look at this real quick because it's interesting how the similarities between the stories and how we can learn uh, kind of between because it, this, this story with Zechariah and Elizabeth is so, so brief in scripture uh, compared to Abraham and Sarah and, um, and the trials that God put, put Abraham through to trust his faith. But in Genesis 18, 9, the Bible says, And they said unto him, Where is Sarah thy wife? And he said, Behold, in the tent. And he said, I will certainly return unto thee according to the time of life. And lo, Sarah thy wife shall have a son. And Sarah heard it in the tent door, which was behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old and well stricken in age. And it ceased to be with Sarah after the manner of women. Therefore Sarah laughed within herself, saying, I am waxed old, and I have, I have pleasure, my Lord, being old also. And the Lord said unto Abraham, Wherefore did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I of, of surety bear a child which am, which am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the time appointed, I will return unto thee according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. Then Sarah denied, saying, I laugh not. For she was afraid and said, Nay, but thou didn't laugh. So Sarah, Sarah, of course, here didn't um, immediately did not trust God when God had 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 answered their request to have a son, even in their old age. Now, it doesn't doesn't sound like here that Zacharias and, uh, and Elizabeth were at the same were as old, but that even just makes the case uh, that much, you know, that much more that they were, if they weren't that old and they, they looked back and he knew, no doubt knew about Abraham and that he, him and Sarah had a child in their old age. Now it's also looked back on in Romans 4.18. It says, who against hope believed in hope that he might become the father of many nations according to that which has, was spoken, so shall thy seed be. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead when he was about a hundred years old, neither yet deadness of Sarah's womb, he staggered not at the promise of, of God through unbelief, but was strong in the faith, giving glory to God, 
and being fully persuaded that he had what he was promised, he was able also to perform, and therefore it was imputed to him for righteousness. Now it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but for us also to whom it shall be imputed, if we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. So if we can um, trust, we can, we can trust in God that he actually performed these things, just as we can trust that God sent Jesus Christ to the cross and it forgives, us, forgives us of our sins, just as we can trust in our salvation, we can trust that God is truthful in these things. Now, um, we, we see that uh, we often get stuck on our own physical limitations and tend to use that to limit God, limit God. But we see here that faith is always blessed and unbelief is judged. Now, we, as we look here, um, looking back here, we see these, instruction, these instructions given to Zacharias. Gabriel was, instru was instructed to name their son John, meaning Jehovah is gracious, and to, de to dedicate him as a Nazarite. Um, and I'm going to look real quick back in the book of Numbers to, to look at what exactly a Nazarite was. What does that mean? Uh, what does that setting apart as a Nazarite mean? In Numbers 6, 1, it says, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, When either man or woman shall separate themselves to vow a vow of a Nazarite, to separate themselves unto the Lord, he shall separate himself from wine and strong drink, and shall drink no vinegar of wine or vinegar of strong drink. Neither shall he drink any liquor of grapes, nor eat moist grapes or dried. All the days of his separation shall he eat nothing that is made of, of the vine tree for, for, from the kernels of the husk. All the days of the vow of his separation shall no razor come upon his head until the days be fulfilled, in which he separateth himself unto the Lord. He shall be holy and shall, shall let the locks of his hair, hair of his head grow. All the days that he separateth himself unto the Lord, he shall come at no dead body. He shall not make himself unclean for his father or for, for his mother, for his brother or for his sister when they die because of the consider, consider consecration of God is upon his head. All the days of his separation, he is holy unto the Lord. So this was a special separation, and it was um, both, uh, it was both uh, from his parents, but it was also something that he had to take take ownership of, and it was also had an outward appearance to it. That, of course, it, there was no razor upon his head. He was not to get a haircut for the for this entire time, and of course, this was from uh, John's birth. And so it was going to be an outward, uh, 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 an outward appearance that he was that some he, that he was a, a peer, that he was um, devoted to God, and of course, uh, drinking and eating from the from the grapevine was very was very common in that day, and so his diet was to be different as well because of because it doesn't only include include wine and alcoholic beverages; it includes everything from the vine. Now, so he was supposed to, he was to be set apart and also to be clean and not touching dead bodies. Now, also he would be filled with the Spirit from birth. In Luke 1.41, we see, And it came to pass that when Elizabeth heard the salutation of Mary, 
the babe leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost. He would be God's prophet to present his son to the people of Israel. If you want to turn with me to John 1.15, in John 1.15, we'll look at the, a little bit of the ministry of John the Baptist before we kind of go back to his birth, because we haven't really finished that yet, but if we'll you'll look with me in John chapter 1 and verse number 15. In John 1, 15, we'll look at um, uh, kind of part of uh, John the Baptist's sermon here, and as the priests come to really figure out what, what he's all about, they, they've heard of him, they come to ask, question him, and ask what about this, this, wilderness, this wilderness preacher. Um, and so in John 1, 15, the Bible says, John bear witness of him and cried, saying, This was he whom I spake, he that cometh after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of the fullness have all we re received, and grace for grace. And the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. No man hath seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which, which is in the bosom of the Father, he, he hath declared him. So in verse 19 we see, and this is the record of John, when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who art thou? He confessed and denied not, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Art thou Elias? And he said, I am not. Art thou, art thou that prophet? And he answered, No. Then they said unto him, who art thou, that we may give an answer to them that sent us? What sayest thou of thyself? In verse 23 it says, And he said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Elias. And they which were sent were, the, were of the Pharisees, and they asked him, and they asked him, and said unto him, Why baptest Baptizest thou then, if thou be not the Christ, nor Elias, neither a prophet? John answered them, saying, I baptize with water, but they, there standeth one among you, whom you know not. He it is who is coming after me, who is preferred before me, whose shoes latch, latch it I am not worthy to unloose. These things were done in, <clears throat> in Betharia, beyond Jordan, where John was baptizing. And so, as we look at John the Baptist's ministry here, he was to announce Jesus Christ's coming. Now, it, it was his ministry was also to to turn people back, to to turn people to God, to get people to pay attention that something big was going to happen, that Jesus Christ was going to come on the scene. And of course, this is a connection to Isaiah chapter forty, connecting back to the Old Testament. In Isaiah forty-one, it says, "Comfort ye, comfort ye, my people," saith the Lord. Speak ye comfortably to Jerusalem, and cry unto her, that her warfare is not accomplished, that her iniquity is pardoned, for she hath received of the Lord's hand double for all her sins. The voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, and make straight in the desert a highway for God. Every valley shall be exalted, and every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough pl places plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, and the mountain of the Lord has spoken it. And so we see that, that John the Baptist's ministry, when he came, it was to announce Jesus Christ's coming. He was not the, he was, was not, was not the God-man himself, but he was to announce 
that God was coming to earth. And he was to announce the ministry of Jesus Christ and to get to, to point to point to Jesus Christ. Now, the ministry of John the Baptist is not that all different, that all that different from the ministry of the Christian today. His, his job, uh, his ministry was to point forward to the coming Christ of all that Jesus Christ was going to do. Our job as Christians, when we share the gospel, is to point back at what Jesus Christ has done. He, was, he proclaimed, look what Jesus Christ is, is going to do. He's going to come on the scene. He's going um, <clears> to <throat> save the world from their sins. There's a king coming. But we look back and say, look what Jesus Christ has done for us. He's died on the cross for our sins. We don't have to worry about sin anymore if we're saved. We look back on Jesus Christ. Now we have the angel of the Lord who announced John the Baptist's coming. We have this age-old doubt from Zacharias. And then lastly, we have, uh, thirdly, an apparent evidence, an apparent evidence. So if you look with me in verse number, verse number uh, 20, 21, verse number 21, um, actually, I'm going to go back up to verse number 20. It says, and behold, thou shalt, uh, we're in Luke chapter 2. I didn't say that. Uh, in Luke chapter 2, verse number 20, back to our main text, um, we'll, we'll look at this, and I'll reread verse number, verse number 20, and we'll look at this apparent evidence. And it says, And behold, thou shalt be dumb and not able to speak until the day that these things shall be performed, because thou believest not my words, which shall be fulfilled in their season. And the people waited for Zacharias and marveled that he tarried long, in the temple. And when he came out, he could not speak unto them, and they perceived that he had seen a vision in the temple, for he beckoned unto them and remained speechless. And it came to pass that as soon as the days of his ministration were accomplished, he departed to his own house. And after those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived and hid herself five months, saying, Thus hath the Lord dealt with me in the days wherein he looked on me to take away my reproach among men. So we see here this time, this apparent evidence. Firstly, was his time in the temple. Now, this going into the to the temple, this was a, a very this is a, a very special thing. And when he tarried long in the in the temple here, it says, um, and they marveled, the, the people around that were praying marveled that he tarried long in the temple. And so it was a sign that God was that God was doing something, that something, something was happening. They all knew something was, something was going on. Not only the time he spent on the temple, in the temple, but that, that he came out mute, that he was not able to speak, which um, it's, I, I find, I find this, so, this, this part of the story so ironic because God has this huge announcement, and this is the first time that God has broken the 400 silent years, and the way that God chooses to do it is to make a man mute, to break the 400 silent years. And it's not what we would expect from God, but um, very little of the beginning of the New Testament is what we would expect from God. And so we, because um, of course we have the, the king of the world, we have Jesus Christ coming in a manger, which was unexpected. And we, we tend to, to overlook how extraordinary that was. But this breaking of the 400 silent years came by a man that was mute. So Zacharias, who had been so vocal, uh, would, be, would be dumb for a period of time. He would not be able to speak. 
and unbelief is always, is always dumb. We should not, we should not um, focus on our unbelief. We should be focusing on our faith. There are many babblers around us who are everlastingly spouting off their unbelief. And it hasn't, they, they don't have anything to say. They just want to spread their unbelief, which it's, it's okay when we, when we lack faith to gain support, but there's people that want to spread their unbelief with a purpose to cause others to not, to, to not have belief and to, and to doubt God. So this passage also strikes me as being funny that after 400 silent years, um, he breaks through to the human race and we see Zechariah here coming out of the temple waving his arms to these priests uh, say, to say something, something amazing has happened, but he can't tell them what had happened directly. And it was not till he got, he got back to Elizabeth that she was the only one that would know what this amazing thing would be and that a, that a baby was coming. Now, after serving his, his time in the temple, he was free to return to his own home. It says in the hill country of Jerusalem, and it was an interesting situa- situation. Zacharias couldn't talk, but Elizabeth, because of her condition, remains in seclusion for several months as they await their coming baby. Now, Zacharias had a difficult time, uh, I, would, I would, would guess, completing his work in the temple before going home to his wife. And when he got home, it was even more interesting because his wife, his wife was able to speak, and she was the one carrying around the promised baby. And so, uh, no doubt, over, these, over this period of months, she would be saying to him, Zacharias, we're going to have a baby. Zacharias, God has been faithful on his promise. And I just, when I think of that, of how God had kept his promise, and how sometimes we just really don't have the words to say when God when when God when God gives us something so great, when God gives us gifts that we we can't do we can't do anything in return for them. Sometimes there's not even anything we can we can say. And so God had kept his promise, and Elizabeth conceived a son in her old age, and there's nothing too hard for the Lord. And apparently the amazement and curiosity of the people around forced her to be in seclusion until the baby was born. And it was the evidence of the coming Messiah. The Messiah is coming. And it, that, always, that also always struck me as, as, as funny that uh, Zacharias wasn't able to speak, and his wife was constantly reminding him that God has fulfilled his promise, that, that, John, that John the Baptist was coming, that God was doing a great thing in their life. And that's how, that's how that worked out. Now, as we, as we wrap up tonight, John's mis- ministry and the breaking of this 400 silent years to Zacharias was to announce the coming of Jesus Christ. We're at the right, right before, right up before the coming of Jesus Christ, right before his birth was announced. In just the next few verses, we see the announcement to Mary, to Mary that Jesus Christ would be born. And, um, and of course, John the Baptist's ministry was to announce the coming Christ. And I wanted to re-highlight that, that just as John the Baptist's ministry was to point to Jesus Christ and what he has done and to preach on what he has done, in the New Testament, we're pointing, we're pointing back on what God has done. And we understand a lot more now, just because of more has happened, 
because uh, Jesus Christ's ministry has been has been completed uh, here on earth during during his first coming, we can look back on the miracles of Christ on the and on the on the cross and look at all that God had done for us, and we can point back to that and point back point back to the salvation that Jesus Christ offers, and we, we see in Romans 6.23, it says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. When, when Paul wrote that in the book of Romans, he was pointing back to what Jesus Christ had done. Just as when we share that, when we're sharing the gospel, we point back on what Jesus Christ had done in this miraculous miracle. And so we're, we're also to announce, uh, just as, as he would do, to announce the Lord has come. In John 1, 23, it says, And he said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness, this being John speaking here. Make straight the way of the Lord, as said the prophet Elias. So to have faith in God's plan and to, an, and to announce Jesus is coming, because to, in our age, Jesus is coming again. And we want to be ready, and we want to make sure others, others know Jesus is coming. And we, we also, if you're here saved tonight, we want to remember to trust God with all of these things in our life. It's been, it's been hard to trust, God th- to trust God this year. God's tested our faith in, in many ways. It's been, a, it's been a good year, but it's been for our church, a year of stepping out by faith with the church property and, and all of that. But in just getting through our, our daily life, it's been a, a test of our faith in, uh, in so many ways. And so we often, we often lose sight of and feel very small, but, and we forget that we serve the God that created the entire world, and he's still the same God. Uh, I think Christians often, we often get in our mind that uh, just as other, as, as, people, as people age and as people get older, they're maybe not as, not as strong as they used to be. They don't do the same things that they were able to do when they were young. Well, God's not like that. God is still able to perform the same miracles that he did all the way back here at the time of Zacharias and Elizabeth. And we just need to have the faith in God for these things. We can, we can pray to the same God that accomplished all these miracles, and he hasn't gotten old. And he still offers salvation freely, and he offers us a ministry of pointing back on what his son, Jesus Christ, had done. So we'll go ahead and uh, close in a word of prayer, and I'll pass it off to pastor and if you're here tonight and you don't know jesus christ as your personal savior um we'll have an invitation here in just a minute and um we'll send some send you with someone to show you from the bible how you can know for sure that you can go to heaven how you can know what what was so great what john the baptist was announcing so i'll go ahead and close in a word of prayer and the pianist can will come and we'll uh we'll go ahead and uh, close out the service like that all right Dear Lord, I thank you for this day, Lord. Lord, I just pray that you'll have your hand on the remainder of the, of the service tonight, on the invitation. And Lord, I just pray that you will, you will bless it, Lord. I pray that if there's anyone here that isn't saved, that they'll get that taken care of tonight. In your son, Jesus Christ's name, amen. Pastor. You know, Scott aptly called it an age-old doubt. I just got to thinking about that. Man, how doubt is has been around for so long since that very first sin when Satan got Eve to doubt God's word. And then uh, later on in the book of Genesis, we see Abraham 
and, and his wife doubting God's word. And then we, we, just, we just continue on down. David doubting God's word and counting the people. And all the way down, then we come to Zechariah. And God sends a messenger to tell him God's going to do the impossible. And Zechariah doubts God's word. You know, we continue to doubt God's word. Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse number 8, Beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. You know, if there's one thing, and there are many things that, that the Lord hates, we know that. One of the things that God hates when it comes to his children is when his children doubt. His apostles did it constantly, and it would, it would get uh, Jesus so upset, and, and, and yet we continue to do it. You know, God does not like doubt. He does not like negativity. He does not like complaining. And he does not like murmuring among his people. And yet, we become so good at it. I mean, uh, all of us have. You know, of all the sins that were committed in the wilderness, and we know there were some heinous sins. The one that is, the one that is named over and over in the New Testament is the fact that they murmured and complained. And the reason they did that was because they doubted God and they doubted God's word. I think uh, one of the things Scott pointed out tonight was that God told Zechariah, I'm not going to let you murmur and complain and doubt my word. I'm not going to let you spread that negativity. And so he silenced him. And um, what a lesson that is to us. As we approach this next year, I think it's a good challenge for us, each and every one of us, not to be doubters, not to be complainers, not to be murmurers. Why? Because God is good, and he's been so gracious to us. Let's go ahead and stand, and we're going to sing a verse of invitation. And uh, as we do, if